Today we're going to be studying the Samaritan woman at the well. And because it's a very long story, we decided instead of doing it in one voice, we're going to do it in four voices today. So you'll be hearing from all four pastors in smaller snippets while we intersperse with songs and different forms of worship. So uh, follow along in your bulletin and I think you'll enjoy it and the Lord will meet with us today. See the easy, do the difficult. I don't know about you, but I kind of like easy. I'm always up for a good adventure, but mostly I like to do what makes me feel comfortable, stress-free, chill, at peace. And so when I go to a restaurant, while I don't mind a full menu of options... It's kind of stressful when you have seven things that you want to get at one time. So let's talk about easy at In-N-Out. If you've never been to In-N-Out, there's a very small menu there with basically hamburger, cheeseburger, or a double-double, and then throw in fries and a drink. That easy, really. Now, some of you are hardcore In-N-Out people, and you're sitting there, yeah, but what about the underground menu? The innovative underground menu with four by fours and animal style fries and the Scooby snack and the Flying Dutchman. And yeah, but you're just innovating on a very easy menu. You've just made it more difficult for yourself. So I like easy, but easy can sometimes be difficult. And in the opening verses of John chapter four, which we're going to study today, we see Jesus deciding to take the easiest route yet through the hardest of circumstances. So hear these words now from John chapter 4. Now when Jesus learned that the, what the Pharisees had heard, Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not Jesus himself, but his disciples who baptized, he left Judea and started back to Galilee. But he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria. Jews did not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob? Who gave us the well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming back here to draw water. 
The journey from Judea to Galilee had many different routes. The straightest route was through Samaria. However, Samaria, as we know, was a sub-province of Judea under the rule of Roman authorities. It was inhabited by a mixed population, very separated from the Jews. Their bitter rivalry led to attacks upon Jewish travelers. And you may remember Jesus telling a story based on those attacks, the Good Samaritan. Verse 4 said, but he had to go through Samaria. Well, Jesus made the decision to go through Samaria as the easiest route, but with the most difficult of challenges. This is where, and I admit this is the first time that I've ever connected this with Jesus' humanity. We connect with Jesus' humanity right here at this point because it's easy for us to think, well, of course, this is Jesus. He takes the hard way and he's God, so why not? But remember, Jesus was the only 200% person. 100% God, 100% human. So it is very likely that Jesus was tempted to not take that route, but to go a much longer one and not deal with the difficulties that he knew he might face, even threats of getting hurt. But he does. And he gets to the city of Sychar, and he finds a well. Not just any well, it was Jacob's well, where Jacob and Rachel had met many times long ago. It was a hot day. Imagine a hot day. Sitting at the well. He's very thirsty. And he sits down. And a woman appears. A Samaritan woman. Jesus is all by himself. Disciples had gone to get food. She is a Samaritan and a woman. Jesus finds himself talking to a hated Samaritan and a culturally second-class, marginalized, outcast woman. He asks for a drink, and she immediately sizes up the unusual when she says, How is it that you, a Jew, ask drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Well, Jesus plows right through that barrier. He asks for a drink. She's thinking of basic needs. Jesus is thinking of the hope only he can bring. Even after two statements from Jesus, though she is bright and clever and hungering for spiritual things, she is not yet fully grasping the deeper meaning that Jesus longs for her to hear. The woman says, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming back here to draw water. This morning, Jesus reminds us how we so often limit his love for us and the hope he brings. We say he loves us, but do we really believe he loves all his people? There are times that Jesus calls us to see the easy and do the difficult. The shortest and easiest routes 
are right around us every day. They're in our homes. They're in our workplace. They're in our schools. They're on the same street. They are on our teams. They are the ones we pass by. They are the sitting in our pews. They are the widows, the orphans, the prisoner, the poor, the foreigners. They are the just plain different. But they are right in front of us. Where are we ignoring the opportunities to bring hope, to bring living water, because the easy route seems to be difficult? Pope Francis recently called people to give up indifference for Lent. Friends, when we fully embrace the love of God through Christ, His love overflows and we see the easy and we do the difficult. We're going to pick up in verse 16. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here, when the time when the true worshipers worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. This is such an interesting passage. We often hear that this is a passage where Jesus calls the woman to account for her sin and bestows grace upon her. But it seems to me that perhaps this is what we are expecting. And so we read what we think we see and miss so much more to the story. First, Jesus does not actually seem concerned that this woman is a sinner. Although, of course, we all are. He asks the woman to go call her husband and come back, knowing the whole time that the woman does not have a current husband. Many people say that this woman has been divorced multiple times for her adultery and that she's living in a current adulterous relationship with an otherwise married man. But Jesus never mentions any of this. It seems that we expect the Samaritan woman to be the woman from John 8 who is caught in adultery, whom Jesus tells to go and sin no more. But this is not that woman, and Jesus doesn't say that. In a world where men often married women 10 to 15 years younger than themselves, and many people died in their 30s, 
it is quite possible that this woman has actually buried multiple husbands. In a culture where women could not divorce their husbands, but men could divorce their wives because they did not like a meal she prepared, it is possible that this woman could have been divorced for no fault of her own. And in a situation where women had to pay a dowry to marry, it is possible that by the sixth husband, this woman had simply run out of money and was not able to marry this man, but was perhaps not, also not able to survive in a society that required that she have a man to support her. Perhaps she was in an impossible situation. Maybe we misread her. As Doug noted, she is a Samaritan. And when we stop focusing on her sinfulness, we see Jesus breaking down walls and instituting the same worship that we see later in the Gentile missions. This woman is curious. With a man before her who obviously knows God, she wants to know how does she best worship the Father. While the enmity between the Jews and the Samaritans was developed over centuries for political, historical, and religious reasons, the Samaritan woman highlights one of the biggest conflicts with her question about where to worship. The Samaritans were people who followed the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and did not accept the history books and the prophets. But they did follow the law of Moses, just as the Jews did. They believed that building the temple in Jerusalem was a departure from the worship of God, which both Jacob and Joshua had instructed as they worshipped on Mount Gerizim, shouting distance from this conversation that is taking place. Meanwhile, the Jews believed that true worship of God took place in Jerusalem, and that the Samaritans had intermarried and had brought pagan elements into worship. They believed that people must worship in the Jerusalem temple, but they also would not allow Samaritans to enter beyond the court of the Gentiles to conduct that worship. And this wall Jesus breaks down. He removes this barrier of location of worship for her as they talk, saying that true worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus, in John's Gospel, takes the place of the temple as a locus of worship. He already said in 2.19 that if this temple is destroyed, I will raise it up. And we're told that he's speaking about his body. Here he says that worship in Jerusalem's temple will cease. This source of division between Jews and Samaritans is ending. While Jesus acknowledges that the Samaritans are not Jewish, he has just opened the door for this woman to faithfully worship God without becoming Jewish by worshiping in spirit and in truth. And Jesus is more clear with this woman than he ever is with the Jews. She says, I know that when Messiah comes, and Jesus replies, I am he. He is the one that both the Jews and the Samaritans are waiting for, and she is the first one to hear it plainly. What an honor Jesus has bestowed upon this woman that most of the Jews would not have even spoken with. So the question for us is, what walls have we erected between people who are all welcome to worship the Father, and yet we create divisions? What assumptions do we need to reinvestigate to faithfully proclaim the Messiah to those from whom we are separated? Lest we forget about them, 
Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, What do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to to complete his work. Do you not say, Four months more, then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. The unnamed but very important Samaritan woman leaves on an evangelistic mission. Just as the disciples, Jesus' faithful companions, arrive on the scene. There's a stark difference between how we would expect a Samaritan woman and the male disciples handpicked by Jesus to interact in the presence of the Son of God. As usual, Jesus doesn't respect our assumptions and preconceived notions. The disciples come, as all good disciples do, with food. Back in verse 8, we are told that they're out shopping, which seems like an important task, certainly not a bad thing to gather food. But when they get back, they don't ask Jesus if he's hungry. They don't ask any of the obvious questions. Uh, Instead, they command Jesus to eat. Now, the Samaritan woman, on the other hand, she asked lots of questions. Kept asking them to find out more about God and who Jesus is and really be in the presence of the Lord. When the disciples finally ask a question, it's not to Jesus, it's among themselves, and they are trying to figure out who stole their job of feeding Jesus. Keep in mind, all of this is happening while the Samaritan woman is in the city preaching about Jesus. The same city the disciples are in arguing about food. To put it lightly, the disciples don't seem to be in tune with Jesus in this moment. They have now found themselves in a teachable moment yet again. Food is more than just the nutrients that we ingest multiple times per day. Just as water is not just a liquid we drink. The things that sustain us are more than just food and water. Jesus is reframing sustenance as being in and doing the will of God. Now, this is a reminder to the disciples and to us to think spiritually. And Paul 
remembered this. He understood this. He wrote in Colossians, keep our minds on the things above, not on the things on earth. Life is multidimensional. Jesus highlights this in food and water because we understand food and water. The things we put in our stomachs, they keep us living. But dwelling in the will of the Lord is what truly makes us alive and causes us to flourish. What does this look like? Well, Jesus answers that with an analogy because that's how he answers them. The harvest is plentiful and harvest season is right now. That doesn't mean that every crop is ready to be picked this very moment, but it does mean that there is always something to be harvested. We can't keep up with God's planting. We also don't set the timetable of when things are harvested. That's all God. God's in control here. We are the laborers. Now the disciples, they missed it. They'll get it eventually, but here they they missed it. The Samaritan woman, she got it. Jesus might as well have told them, but I tell you, be like the Samaritan woman. That would have gotten their attention. (laughs) The good news that the Samaritan woman heard, that the disciples heard, that we've heard, should move us to action, should propel us forward, thrust us into this. We must be ready for the harvest because harvest season is right now. And God is a prolific farmer. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you have said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know this is truly the Savior of the world. There are two ways to find Jesus here. One is where he meets people directly where they are in the mundane of their lives, showing up to offer a different way to live, quite out of the blue. The second way is inviting those they know to investigate whether Jesus is true. In the section Pastor TJ read, remember what happened when the disciples returned. Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. John makes a point of telling us that the woman left her bucket at the well. In her haste to make sure that others get to know who she just met, she hurries away. Jesus doesn't need food. The woman doesn't need the water she came to get. Bigger things are happening that make the everyday not as essential. 
When is the last time we set aside something we were doing to invite others to see the Lord? The woman went and told her entire community that Jesus might be the Messiah, not caring what they thought about her. What stops us from doing the same? Maybe not experiencing Jesus in our own lives as relevant. Fear of social stigma. Potential loss of relationship. Being seen as extreme. Indifference, like Pastor Doug said, to how others might need him as well. Caring more about our everyday lives. See what she says? He told me everything I ever did. What drives the people out the door? Being known. They have a desire to see what would make this woman come with great excitement and urgency. They too are thirsty. They, like all of us, need living water. Their lives aren't fulfilling enough. If they were, they wouldn't have run out the door. If they had everything they needed and were quite content, why rush out the door to see what this woman has to say? Who is there? But what if there's more? Could Jesus have more for us? We've talked about the exclusion and the shame in this passage. A lot of people want to talk about the woman, but remember how outcast the Samaritans were. The story that Jesus tells about the Good Samaritan is revolutionary because no one thought they were good. That's the point. They were outcasts. They were considered traitors. By their Jewish counterparts, they didn't keep certain things holy. But Jesus comes to them, abides with them for two days, giving them an equal part in life with God in a way no one had ever bothered to do. You see, what Jesus does here is he levels the playing field because there's a power differential between the Jew and the Samaritan. There's a power differential between the man and the woman. And Jesus equalizes things with the woman. And when he does that, he changes the narrative about how it's possible to worship God in a new way. And the woman finds freedom. That's why she goes back and tells her village. That's why she goes To invite people to see him. Because the walls have been broken down and Jesus invites all of those who have been left out. They understand and they say, Jesus is the savior to the world. All who come to know God now can. But in order for this to happen, the woman has to be bold. What an evangelist she is. Without her, they don't get the chance to meet Jesus. What if she has this life-changing experience and then goes back to her life and never speaks about it to anyone? 
Worshiping him? Yes. Loving him? Yes. But not offering to others who are thirsty the same drink. She understands without being told how knowing Jesus is something precious that will save them all. He's not only for a few lucky ones. He's for everyone. He's meant to be shared. We grow and the church grows best when we offer the faith to others. She's only known Jesus a few minutes, but she's already gone to tell others who he is. This is what followers of Messiah do. They lead others to him. Why do people come to know Jesus? Why did you? Because he is the God who makes himself known. He is the God who is full of truth. And he is willing to wrestle with us through our process. There's lots of process going on here. Jesus meets us where we are and is willing to answer the hard questions, to ask us the hard questions, because he holds our dignity when we bring to him our brokenness and our sin and the things that we have done wrong and talks to us with dignity and respect and love and offers forgiveness that truly sets us free. Because he cares about the very core of who we are. He meets us wherever we are, however superficial it is. Please give me a drink of water. But then takes us to the depth of where it really matters. Offering hope and a new way to live. So today we've seen an incredible story where Jesus illustrates powerfully why he came. The harvest begins with one. That's what Jesus does. He draws people into relationship, inviting them to rely on him one at a time. And then that one goes and tells other, and then he meets them too. So who in your life is thirsty for God? What do you need to drop so that you can invite others to come and see Jesus?